um, but it's great to be here. Mike sends regards. He is, oh, I can't even say he's sitting on a beach because he's not quite at the beach today, but he's sitting in Mozambique in Maputo. He's with the guys there that um, are leading the Maputo church. They're having a church camp. And um, this morning when we were praying before the service, Uncle George just saw a flame starting. And we are really trusting that this Maputo church, this plant will explode. That we will really see people being reached, hearts being touched. Um, as Yanni and, and Wesley start up there, we're really excited for them. Um, it's going to be a great season. We'll be walking very closely with them. We'll be going to Mozambique a couple of times. So if there's anyone that ever feels they want to join us, let us know. If you've got a passport, you can come. All right. This morning, I want to start off with, um, just give me a, a quick indication. How many of you were here last week with Carol and Andrew Gosman? All right. Now, when Carol started the service last week, she had a prophetic word for the church. And as we were listening to that word as a staff on Monday, we really felt that we want to expand on that a little bit. I want to speak about that this morning. I want to speak about what we felt God saying to us as a staff about this. So I want to play it again, um, just for those who weren't here, for those of you who didn't hear it, to just hear it again this morning, and then I will, I will continue from there. Thanks, God. Awesome. And I hear the Lord saying to each and every one of you, 
my daughter, my son, will you stand up in the anointing and the grace that I've given you? Will you stand up in the call that I've given you? For indeed, this church won't be a church of one man or one woman doing, doing the works of God, but this will be a church where every person will carry my anointing and will carry my grace. For you've heard the call in your heart. You've heard the stirring. You've heard in, inside of you the deep desire to be significant, to be used by God, to be able to look at your environment and say, God changed it because I see yes. yes and I hear the Lord say to each and every one of you, be strong and courageous. Yes. Be strong and courageous. Do not look back. For those things that I've called you to are the things that I am doing. Yes, come on. Amen and amen. Amen. And now that the youth has heard that prophetic word as well, you may leave. Sorry, I forgot to dismiss the youth. Enjoy your time with, with Almero. Again, just like the kids, we're not just keeping them busy. We're laying foundations in their lives that we trust will carry them through what is a challenging time. I think what our kids have to face these days, the temptations, the things they go through is, is definitely <clears throat> far harder than what I went through as a teenager. And we're trusting that God's word will strengthen them and put foundations in place that they will be able to resist that. All right. Firstly, one of the things that Carol said, she spoke about expanding the tent pegs and that we will grow. For those of you who, who were with us five years ago when we started in our garage, you can see the growth that has taken place. All right, this would not have fit in our garage. Praise the Lord. We've got to move out of the garage. But even this, folks, I believe, is just, is just a drop in the ocean of what the Lord wants to do in and through this church with regards to growth. Secondly, she spoke about God setting people free. We are seeing it in our connect groups. On a weekly basis, we are hearing testimonies of prayer where God set people free from sin. He set people free from fear and anxiety. And God is working quickly. I'm amazed how in the past it felt like I had to walk a journey with people and it would take months to get through to them and, and some of the things to begin to change. I feel now like I pray once and people are set free. And it's not me, but it's God moving and God is moving quickly. We don't have time to waste. There is a harvest that is waiting for us to be ready. She spoke about spiritual family to the nations, diversity. When I look around us, I see different cultures. How many of you, is there anyone here from a different country that you were, you were born somewhere other than South Africa? One, two, three, okay. This needs to change, needs to grow. We need to get different cultures in. When we were in Dublin, we were a church of 80 and there were 16 nationalities in our church. It was incredible learning from others, learning from their cultures. She spoke about breaking down of the walls. She spoke about stand up. Every person will carry anointing and grace. God has called each one of us to be a part of what he is doing. This morning when we were praying, George shared with us that he's, he's prepared us for the good work that he has called us to do. He's actually put it in us already. 
He has prepared us and he continues to prepare us for what he wants us to do. And this church will never be a church where the only people you see standing up front here is Mike and I. Or the only people that teach at Victory Training and Making Disciples is Mike and I. We believe in raising up leaders. We believe in other people sharing the word of God because that is what God has called us each to do. And it says here, to be used by God. God changed our environment because we said yes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can change Nelspreit because we said yes? Because God called us and we said, all right, Lord, use me. I'm here, I'm available, use me. And that God can change the city. Last week, Carol said, can you imagine us as a people being so whole that when we walk into a room, people's lives are changed? When we shake a corrupt politician's hand, he is no longer corrupt. Can you imagine? Do we, do we dream big enough? Do we believe big enough? Do we believe that our God can do these things in and through us? I was very challenged by, by Carol on Sunday and realizing that my own thinking, the own, my own way of viewing things is actually really small. And I felt challenged, expand it, grow it, believe and trust for more in my life as well as in the church's life. So this morning, I want to speak to you about two, two phrases that came up for us as we're listening to this prophecy. And one was counting the cost, and the second one was taking up our cross. And I know that for some of you go, oh, no, I've heard this before. Man, another something I have to do. Another something I have to work at. No, it's not something you have to do or you have to work at. It's what God does in you and what God can do through you. I want us to just read a scripture quickly in Luke 14 from verse 25. <clears throat> it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, he's not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. And I've often looked at these scriptures and I thought, gosh, that's quite harsh. How do I hate my mother and father when the Bible says honor my mother and father? But in those days, hate was more a term for love less, not not love at all. We throw the word around hate very easily. I hate that food, I hate that music, I hate that actor, I hate, I hate, I hate, okay? 
we just throw it around. But in context of what the scripture was, hate meant love less. So what Jesus is saying is he's asking us, love your family less than you love me. Place Jesus as the main priority, the first love, the predominant love, and then the rest below him. Not don't love them. God has called us to love each other. He's called us to love our families. But when we place them above Jesus, they become our idols. There are so many times, those of you who are parents, or even husbands and wives, you know you can put your husband up there sometimes. You can put your kids up there. The amount of times I have to go back to God and say, Lord, I'm placing these boys back on the altar again. I've taken control. I've placed them before you. I've made decisions for their comfort above what you are asking me to do, Lord. I was quite challenged the other day. Luke came to me and said, Mommy, when are we going to pray stop again? Because I took them with me to pray stop one day. Not that they prayed with us. I mean, Luke, I think Luke stood with us, Joanne, for like one minute maybe while we're praying for someone. The rest of the time they went running off. But there was something about being there that Luke felt, I want to go again. But the amount of evenings I don't go with Mike because I think, you know what, the boys have got school tomorrow. They've got to be in a routine. They've got to, and here my boys are saying, hey, when are we going again? And I realized, you know what, there's, a, there's something in their hearts that also wants to be doing something for the Lord. That also, And I put them before what God is asking me to do. Folks, I'm not saying that ministry and the things that the church do and things like that have to always come first. All right? God comes first. Then your spouse, then your children, and then church. But if God is asking you to do something and you step up and say yes, then that comes first. All right? When God called us to come to Nelspray, it was a tough decision. We were comfortable, my boys were comfortable, everything was going really well in Pretoria. And we made a decision to be obedient instead of comfortable. And about six months into the move, Josh was really struggling. He did not like Nelspreit, he was not happy in his school. And he looked at me and he said, Mommy, remind me again, why did we come to Nelspreit? And before I could answer him, he said, oh yes, Jesus said we must. And off he went. Like, I didn't, even, I didn't even need to say anything more. And it was settled in his heart, and it was like, you know what, it's okay. I might not be liking this right now. This might not be easy right now. But Jesus asked us. So we said yes. And I truly hope that that is a principle that he'll carry with him in his heart. So it's not about not loving. It's just about loving less and getting our priorities straight. So we declare Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Now there's an aspect to Christianity that has sounded cheap in a way, where it's a free gift. Come to Jesus and you get eternal life. It's free. Here, go. But we didn't receive it cheaply. What Jesus paid for us to have that privilege did not come cheaply to him. And I think sometimes we don't count the cost of saying yes to Jesus. Sometimes 
when that altar call is made, we're in this emotional state of, oh, I'm, hell. What if I go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. Okay, okay, I'll put my hand up. I'll put my hand up. And that's the extent of what has motivated us to give our hearts to Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I was 15. I was listening to a sermon about heaven and hell, and I was like, I'm not going there. What's my other alternative? Okay, I'll do this. I'll put my hand up. Did I have any idea what I was signing up for? Absolutely not. Do, would I have signed up for it if I had known? Well, maybe not. <laughs> okay? Sometimes I think God keeps the full picture from us so that he gets the yes from us. But do you know what that yes does? It means, if you can put that next slide on, I don't know how many of you are going to see it. I'm going to put it on the, the um, Mbombela WhatsApp group later. Okay, sorry, I forgot to do that this morning. But <clears throat> there's a picture there of justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, justification happens the moment we say, Jesus, you are my Savior. I repent. I'm a sinner. Come and live in my heart. Instantaneously, our spirit is saved. Instantaneously, we are in right standing with God. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. In a flash, in a moment, that happens. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen to our soul. Wouldn't it be great if all our sin, all our baggage, all our fears, anxieties, all of that stuff, in an instant was fixed as well? For some people, some of those things happen quickly. Mike can testify to, he used to swear dreadfully when he was at university. He says he couldn't string three words together without a swear word being in there. He gave his heart to the Lord and literally the next day he stopped swearing. He didn't even realize it. His friends came to him and said, Jeez, what's wrong with you? You know, you, you just stopped swearing. And he then realized that God had done something instantly. We know of people that stopped smoking instantly, stopped drinking instantly. There are certain things that God does in our soul instantly. But there are other things that is a journey and a process of sanctification. It's a process of daily saying, Lord, change me. Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. And I was, I was really wrestling with this while I was preparing. And I thought, but if salvation is free and instant and I don't need to do anything, and I'm going to heaven anyway, why do I need to go through the sanctification process? Which is quite painful sometimes, right? Anyone else experience sanctification as quite painful sometimes? Okay, so why must I go through all of that? And believe it or not, I even Googled it. I went to Google and I Googled, why go through sanctification if salvation is free? <laughs> okay, it didn't give me many answers. Okay, I couldn't come up with an answer. But you know what really struck me? was that the moment we invite Jesus and his spirit to come and live in our hearts, that Jesus, that spirit, gives us the desire to be more like Jesus. That's why we go through the sanctification. Because there's a desire inside of us to be more like Jesus. 
There's a desire inside of us to walk in the fullness that he promises us in his word. There's a desire inside of us to have the fruits of the Spirit. How many of you can remember as kids singing the songs about the fruits of the Spirit and now as adults you think, wow, do I have those in my life? Can people really look at me and see love, patience, kindness, peace, long-suffering, blah, 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 the whole nine of them? I've stopped praying for patience. Because you know what happens when you pray for patience? God gives you opportunities to exercise patience. And I decided with two boys, I have more than enough opportunities. I'm not praying for any more. Okay, but do we, can people see that in our lives? I desire for people to see that in my life. I desire for people to look at my life and see something different. And it's because of that that I put my hand up and I say, sanctify me, Lord. Make me more like you, Jesus. I'll go through the pain of it, Lord. There's stuff I don't want in my life anymore, Jesus. Help me to deal with it. Bring people across my path that can point it out. We have blind spots, folks. If you don't think you've got blind spots, speak to someone in your connect group. They'll show them to you. They can see them. There's people in my lives that can see things sometimes I wish they couldn't. When people like Andrew and Carol come and visit and they're hugely prophetic, I kind of like, don't look me in the eyes. I don't, I don't want to hear it. No, Carol, you're seeing too much. <laughs> All right? Because we've got blind spots. We've got stuff we need to work on. And God wants to do that. Not just for us. Someone said to me the one day, God is making me whole so that I can be whole for my children one day. And I can be whole for the people that he's sending across my path. And even though in principle I agree with that, there was part of me that just looked at this person and said, you know what, Jesus wants you whole because he wants it for you. First and foremost, he wants you to be whole for you. And once you are whole, he can begin to use you in other people's lives and in your children's lives. Gosh, being a parent is a huge responsibility. Every time I lose my patience with my kids, I feel, oh, Lord, thank you that there are men in this church that's going to help them one day to deal with their mommy issues. <laughs> Just like someone had to help us deal with our mommy and daddy issues, someone's going to help them to deal with us. But it's because God wants to. So firstly, when we speak about count the cost and bear our cross, there's a couple of things that stand out in Luke. And the first one I've mentioned already is love your family less. Just place Jesus first. Secondly is bear your cross and follow Christ. And what does that mean? Bear one's cross is to have a difficult responsibility or burden that one must handle on one's own. Now, when I say on our own, I don't mean without Jesus, but I mean that there are things in our lives that we have to deal with. We've got to carry it. There are times where your family 
might be teasing you or mocking you because you love Jesus. You might have friends who are mocking you this morning because you're sitting here instead of next to a dam somewhere catching fish or instead of cycling with them this morning or playing golf or whatever it might be. They might be mocking you for it. You're carrying that. Okay? There are times when if we look at other cultures, when a Muslim person chooses Christianity, the cost that they count, the cross that they bear, is far greater than what some of us will ever have to carry. But do we know what God is asking us to carry? What is the cross that we need to carry? What is Jesus asking each one of us? And you know, Jesus spoke about carrying that cross long before he carried it himself. Long before he carried that physical cross that he had to carry. And they, people knew what that cross meant when he spoke about the cross. The Romans had been using it since just before Jesus was born, but the Persians and the Greeks had been using it far longer. They knew what that cross looked like. They knew what the implications were. Thirdly, it's relinquish everything. Everything means everything. Everything we have. Are we willing to give up everything for Jesus? Someone was sharing an example, and they said, imagine someone comes up to you. Your dream destination, say, is you want to live in Cape Town, okay? They say to you, I've got a beautiful apartment for you, sea point at the sea, gorgeous view, I'll pay all the expenses for you to live there, I'll give you extra money for spending money, everything's cost, everything's covered, all your costs are covered, here, go to Cape Town. And you come back the next week, it's like, guys, I've got this house in Cape Town, I'm going to live there at the beach, I'm going to, everything, you're so excited, you're telling everyone about it, but you never actually move there. So you've got all of this, but until you pack your bags and leave Nelspruit, you're not actually living this lifestyle that you're declaring. And so many of us do that with Christianity. I'm saved, Jesus lives in my heart, but have you actually packed up the past? Have you actually let go of everything God is asking you to let go of and step into that new lifestyle, that new world that God has for you? If we don't actually do that, it's like having your ashes sprinkled at your beach house one day. You never lived there, but let's go sprinkle your ashes there. You never actually enjoyed what that person had for you. And the same is with Jesus. If we don't let go of the things we need to let go of and step into what he has promised us, our earthly journey, which is really short in comparison to eternity, will not have nearly as much in it as what God has promised for us. Folks, I'm not saying God has promised us this easy life where everything is amazing and wonderful, but in comparison to some people who don't have Jesus, our lives are incredible. I've seen people, especially in this last season, journeying through unbelievable pain and heartache without Jesus. I don't know how they do it. And I've seen people journeying through incredible pain and loss with Jesus. 
and I can see the difference. I can see the difference because they're anchored. They have someone journeying with them. Does it still hurt? Of course. Mike and I had a moment again this weekend where Mike just said, it was a Sunday, he was like, this really sucks. Every Sunday we spoke to his parents. Every Sunday. But now we don't. And does it hurt? Yes. But do we have Jesus with us? Do we have Jesus journeying with us? Yes. Is there a fullness in that? Yes. I cannot imagine going through that without him. We have something with us because we gave up something else. We relinquished a life. We relinquished certain comforts. There are missionaries in this world that gave up natural comforts to do what Jesus has called them. There are missionaries living in deepest, darkest Africa. I can remember I had a moment in my early, early 20s where I felt God saying to me, will you go to deepest, darkest Africa if I call you? Oh my word. I remember sitting on my carpet. It took me about three hours of prayer, of worship music, of eventually saying, okay, Lord, even if you ask me to do that, I will do that. Thankfully, he hasn't yet. All right, But I know that at some point in my life, I said yes. I said, okay, Lord, even that. And there's something for all of us where we're like, God, I'll do everything but not that. Please, just not that. Don't make me give up that. Please, I love that too much. And you know what that is. You know what that little thing is that you love more. And Jesus doesn't always ask us to give it up. He just wants to know, are we willing to? If he does ask, are we willing to? How many of you have heard of Jackie Pullinger? All right, a few of the older people. She is an older missionary. I think she actually passed away last, last year or the year before that. But Jackie Pullinger was 22 years old, and she felt she wanted to be a missionary. She started pushing on a couple of doors, and she wanted to go to Africa, and she got no response from anywhere. And she went to her vicar in the Anglican church, and he also, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure how to do this. And she went home, and she had a dream, and God told her to go to China. She was like, China? Okay, she lived in London. She went to the harbor in London with 10 pounds in her pocket and got onto the first ship going to Hong Kong at the age of 22. I don't know if I would be very happy if I was her mother. But anyway, she felt that's what God said and off she went to Hong Kong. She knew no one in Hong Kong and she started a ministry there in the darkest streets of Hong Kong amongst heroin addicts. Read her book, it's called Chasing the Dragon and you'll see what relinquishing everything means and what she relinquished, but what she gained. Unbelievable testimonies 
where God used to set heroin addicts free in a moment in her house, where people, Chinese people came to know the Lord. Year after year after year, she lived in China. And she did what God called her to do. But she had to walk out of her comfort zone, living in London, 10 pounds in her pocket, and ended up in Hong Kong. I think there's a place where we've got no idea what relinquishing really means. Like I said, when Muslims are asked to become Christians, for many of them, their families will disown them. Some of them will be killed. There are other, there are other cultures as well where they risk death for saying yes to Jesus. And the fourth one there is count the cost. And Jesus refers there to someone building a tower and someone going to war. And he says, would you build a tower without having enough money to complete it? Would you go to war without knowing that you could win the battle? And this is what I was saying earlier about when we, when we put up our hand and say, yes, Jesus, I want you as my Lord, we don't always count the cost. We don't always think of what will this cost me. And folks, I want us this morning to take a moment and really think, for many of you, you're on the journey already. You've put up your hand. You've said, Lord, here I am. Be my Savior. But have we said, be my Lord? Have we totally relinquished everything? Have we counted the cost? Have we picked up our cross? Because until we do, we cannot make a difference in the city. How can we go out and ask others to take up their cross, to count their cost, if we haven't done it? I can't ask you this morning to do something I haven't done. And I'm not saying that there won't be more costs down the line. Of course there will. In our journey with God, there's constantly things we have to give up. There's constantly things we have to choose to do instead of something else. And I had a friend that always used to say, the rewards are out of this world. <laughs> right? Because that is where our rewards are. They are in heaven. And sometimes we have glimpses of those rewards and those beautiful things that God gives us here on earth. But I'm also interested in what are my rewards when Jesus sees me one day? Will I hear a well done, my good and faithful servant? Because that's the desire of my heart. I want to I run into Jesus' arms one day without feeling like I missed opportunities. Without feeling like, oh, I, I never prayed for those people. Or I never shared the gospel with those people. I don't want to enter heaven with any of that. I just want to run full on into Jesus' arms and say, Woo, I'm here. I made it. And have him be excited to see me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So this morning, we're asking you to go on this journey with us as we extend our tent pegs, as we wish to reflect spiritual family to the city. I'm excited about the different cultures that we have in this church. I'm excited that it's growing. We live in a racist city. I can just say it, because it's true, <laughs> all right? There's a lot of racism 
in the city. We believe that one of the strongholds in the city is racism. And if our church can begin to reflect heaven, we will bring heaven down to earth. And people will see what heaven looks like. When a racist person talks to me and said, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven, I often wonder what are you going to do in heaven when you see every nation and every tribe around you. Do you really think God's got a little white spot for you? I have news for you. God is going to have four different cultures surrounding you. You could push them up in your face like this. <laughs> okay? Because that is God's heart. He made us to love each other, walk with each other, to grow in our diversity. I want to learn from you. We love spending time with justice. He often looks after my pets, so I know he's a good guy because my dogs love him too. All right, you know you can judge people by how your animals react to them. Hey? I can see Minky's agreeing with me. She's got many dogs. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we love spending time with justice. I love learning from him. What do they do differently? I had an incredible conversation with Zetu on Friday evening as we were preparing for one of the sessions in Victory Training where we speak about discrimination. And we were talking about the fact that I grew up in apartheid South Africa. So there, there's possibly thinking in me that is still stinking. You heard that, theory, that saying? My thinking is stinking. And I said to her, if I say something ever that is offensive to you, tell me. Because it's not my heart, but there might still be some stuff that comes out because of the way I grew up. So help me. And there's no way that can change if I don't surround myself with people of a different culture. So we want to reflect heaven. Every nation, every tribe. And we will count the costs. So this morning we've got communion at the top there. And I want us to share communion. Share communion as families. If you're not here with family today, share it with friends. And take a moment as you eat of the bread and you drink of the juice, where you think, Jesus, the cost you paid, the cross you bore, is nothing in comparison to what you are asking of me. So often people say to us, but the church asks too much of me. Folks, as a church, we're not asking anything. If it's in the word of God, it's Jesus asking. I'm not asking you today to pick up your cross and count the cost. Jesus is asking you. I'm not asking you today to be a disciple and make disciples. Jesus does. So if that is something you don't want to do, have that conversation with him. I'm not asking you to do it. He's asking you. So this morning I want you to take a moment. Each family can go. We'll have some music playing. 
but take a moment and say, Jesus, where am I still holding on to something that you have asked me to relinquish? Where is my family or my job or my friends or anything above you? Are you my first love, Jesus? And then lastly, are you willing to put up your hand and say, I'm here? This city can change because I'm saying yes today, Lord. I'm saying yes to what you are calling me to do. I'm saying yes to being part of this journey. I'm saying yes to being sanctified, to be made whole. Let's just pray and then we can just all go and take your time on this, all right? Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your heart's desire for us is to be whole, to be sanctified. Father, to be able to let go of the stuff that holds us back. To relinquish all and just run forward and run into your arms and run into what you have for us, Jesus. I pray that as we quiet ourselves in your presence now, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Jesus, I pray that you would give a word to those who are seeking answers from you, those who are seeking direction from you. Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.